I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Travel Talks with Race Across the World winner, Jamil Chowdhury. In this episode of Travel Talks, Jamil went into depth about his time on the show, why he had to rebuild his relationship with his uncle, Iman, and how the race helped them build a bond. We also spoke about some of the places which meant the most to him from his journey, the places he's keen to go back to and revisit properly, and we also broke down that dramatic sprint up to the finish line, racing against Jen and Rob. It was really great to meet Jamil and chat to him about everything from Race Across the World. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I mean, if you're always secluded, you're not talking to people, you're never learning. Yeah. And you're never experienced, so you never get to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And I think that's definitely important. And I actually took a phrase book with me that was Spanish because I just assumed, you know what? Spanish is the most spoken language in the world or one of the most. Clever. Yeah, so I just took it with me. And what they did was they looked through our bags and took that phrase book. Never in my life would I have thought I would have stayed in such grand, just amazing places. When we went and stayed in the Tatakoa Desert, that was just unheard of. I never thought that I would be staying in the middle of a desert. Overall, looking back, it was probably some of the best times and it was just amazing moments to sort of reflect on your journey, your past, your future, how you want to go about life. So Jamil, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, mate. It's a pleasure to meet you. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. What have you been up to? How's lockdown been treating you? Lockdown's been good. Um, it's been nice to spend a lot of, fam- a lot of family time together, um, especially when I'm going to hopefully move out soon. Um, just trying to get the time in with the friends and the family, but it's been difficult to even do that, especially with COVID. Mm, mm. Um, so I've just been doing a lot of this, the Zoom calls and Zoom yeah, meetings. Yeah, uh, It's been tiring at times. It's been stressful at times, but I'm hoping in the next few months, everything will die down and we'll get back out there and just uh, get back to normality, man. Yeah, man. Fingers crossed. You and me both. So, of course, everyone knows from watching Race Across the World that you love travel. So this first question seems a little bit redundant, but how important is travel to you? Travel, I mean, yeah, as you said, said I mean, it's really important. I've been, uh, I've loved travel my whole life. Um, Just traveling on my own, getting to see things. Um, I like exploring a lot. I think it just allows you to get out of your element and uh, go out yourself do you know what I mean mm, mm. so yeah def- definitely very important very important has it been hard this year not being able to travel yeah I mean I mean it's put me in a at a certain stage when we first started the sort of lockdown phase it put me in a really depressed sort of state mm. just because I couldn't I, f- I felt like I couldn't get out mm. of the house and do the things that I wanted to do um yeah it's been really hard man I, <laughs> I really wanted to go out to South America again 
yeah. um, with the uncle to help the charity yeah. um, organization that we've sort of teamed up with there. And uh, we were planning to go Bangladesh as well. Uh, my uncle got to go, but he went to bury his father. Um, it wasn't for charity work. Mm. And we were hoping to go down there and actually do a lot of charity work. But everything's been so crazy. It's just been unfortunate that we've not been able to do so. But we've been able to team up with a lot of wonderful people who have helped mm. us actually pursue those goals anyway. So, yeah, it's been all right. Awesome, mate. So we should we should start whilst we're on the topic talking about the money that you donated to charity after winning the show then. So would you be able to explain kind of what the charity does and what your money is going to go towards? So um, the charity, that organisation that we've teamed up in South America, they they essentially get children off the streets and they provide them with food, shelter, just sort of natural standard amenities that we sort of take for granted. Do you know mm, what I mean? Mm. Roof over your head, uh, a warm a warm meal. Um, and it allows them to have a sort of education as well. Um, the orphanage that we've got in Bangladesh is actually a family-run orphanage. Um, so we've just been trying to get them extra space um, so that the children have more space to sort of educate themselves and sort of just to play around in. Um, we are trying to get them new toilets just sort of for the natural hygiene and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it, again, like I said, it is all kind of all up in the air. We're trying to do more but it's hard to do more when you're not there yourself. Yeah, I remember that moment from the show when uh, you and Iman saw those kids on the street and it was a really heartwarming moment and difficult to watch, to be honest, because of the way that it affected you both. Were you intent on making sure that you gave some money to the charity from the moment that you saw those children on the street? Yeah, I think, I think what happened was um, when we got there, we saw these children and I was just... Because we were in like a really built up part of Sao Paulo. This mm. market that we were going through was like hustling and bustling. And just on the side of it, you see this family who just like got no shelter, no food, just on the on the streets, sleeping on the streets. And it just baffled me. It shocked us to our core, really. Um, the team that we were with, um, Sabs, Danny, our security guy, they mm. were all broken as well. So it didn't only just impact us. Mm. Um, we were all just shocked uh, with the things that we saw i think um it took us about an hour or two to get ourselves together we mm. sort of sat down at the corner of the street and we sat there for a while and whilst we were sat there me and my uncle were just talking and we were like if we won mm. if we ever did get there maybe you know we could do something with that money rather than spending it on ourselves because i mean we are very lucky to be in the positions that we are we've got work we've got a roof of our heads we've got food on our plates we just wanted to give back um we sort of made the intent then it wasn't fully fledged or anything like that mm. um it was at the end of the show or at the end right when we got to actually win the money because we didn't know whether or not we're gonna win yeah it. of course and when we won it we just knew yeah that's it we're gonna do that it's, it has to be done and yeah, I'm just very happy that we did it. Amazing, mate. Well, well done. It's an amazing thing to do. And you and your uncle are both amazing people for doing that. So I wonder if we could take it back to before you were even on the show now and talk about essentially why you wanted to go on the show. So, of course, your storyline throughout the show was the fact that you and your uncle perhaps didn't have the relationship that you wanted. And this show brought you together. Were you talking at all before you went on the show? Or did you reach out to him just to get on the show? So before the show... Um, the way me and my, uh, my uncle actually got into contact with each other was at my sister's wedding. Mm. Um, so he came down to the wedding. I hadn't seen him in like a decade or so. Wow. And I was like, yo, what's going on? Like, I haven't seen you in so long. Where have you been? Mm. What have you been up to? And he sort of gave an overall explanation of what he's been doing. 
Uh, but it didn't go down and bog down to the details, mm. if you know what I mean. But I, I heard about the things that he sort of achieved and he's climbed Everest, he's started his own business, you know, he's doing very well in life. And I just thought, yeah, you know what, this is somebody that I need to spend a bit more time with. And it's unfortunate that I couldn't spend so much time with before because of sort of natural family dramas and such yeah. and such. Um, so at that point, I started calling him every now and then saying, so is it OK if I come down to your warehouse? Um, yeah. Let me check it out. Let's see what happens. Or, Tell me about my car, you know, just to get yeah, in there. That's really nice. If he's willing to sort of um, integrate back into the family a little bit. Oh, that's really nice to hear, mate. And then I came across the show. Yeah, and then that's sort of how it happened. And I just, I think uh, the, my main goal was just to spend a little bit more time with him so that he's comfortable coming back and sort of spending time with the family as well. Awesome. Is he comfortable now? Is the family much more integrated as a result of the show? Yeah, yeah, completely integrated. It's, uh, it's, it's weird it's and wonderful at the same time, you know? Well, that's a really yeah. positive impact. I wanted to ask you about the application process now. What was the process like for you when you applied for Series 2? Uh, when we applied, I mean, I sent off the forms, um... I don't know how long it took for them to get back to me. It was so long ago now. Um, but they messaged me back saying they need a little video yeah. um, to uh, uh, practically explaining what we've already explained on our forms, um, why we want to do the show, why we want to do it with the person that we're doing it with, and what we think that we'll gain from it. So we sent off a one-minute clip um, saying those things. And again, after a month or so, uh, might have been sooner, they called us back, told us, that we want to, they want us to come come to London for a meeting, see how we get on with them, and just talk through them some, some things. So we went to London, had that meeting. Um, they recorded us, uh, see how we sort of interact with each other. I guess I'm not too sure. And just yeah. interviewed us, and then we had a, a few more sort of scheduled interviews after that. And then there was so much more that happened in terms of um, how they wanted us to figure out where we were going without actually giving our way. Mm. So they made us sound like sign visas and um, try to look at like different parts of the of the map of where we think we'd be going. And they tried to give hints of where we could potentially go, like Russia, America, yeah. um, you know, France, Spain, whatever. And it was all just a, it was all smokescreen. Making <laughs> 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 us sign lots of documents and do lots of shit. So we just couldn't figure it out. It was ridiculous. They, they completely bluffed you. So yeah, what was yeah. that reaction like when you found out you were on the show? You must have been buzzing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we didn't know that we were on the show still, even when we were actually signing those forms. Oh, really? We still, yeah, yeah. They were still telling us that we could potentially be on the show. Mm. So even then, we didn't know. It was only like a good month or two before that was actually going out uh, that they tell us that we've been chosen. And I think they do that so that you don't have time to prepare anything and yep. you're just kind of sort of thrown into the deep end. Yeah, and but of course, like... you've got a really great job in architecture and yeah, yeah. that must have been something which you had to maybe put on hold. Did you have to ask for some time off or how did that work? No, no, no. For myself at the time, I just came out of my education. So I just finished oh, my really? last year of my degree. So I was just in, a, in the perfect sort of situation yeah, to do something like that. Brilliant. Um, yeah, and I was very lucky. I was very lucky. Awesome. So I wanted to kind of get a bit more in detail now into the show and talk about some questions which I had whilst watching it. So yeah. when you're at each um, checkpoint and you don't know the next destination or the next checkpoint you need to get to, 
how did you go about planning a route when you didn't know the destination in mind? Or was it just a case of relax, recharge and rest before the next race? Yeah, I mean, you couldn't figure out where you were going or you couldn't plan a route because you didn't know. You only found out as soon as you were going. So it was literally, yeah, rest and recuperate mm. because that whole week was so tiring and so sort of eventful. It, you just didn't find time to relax, really. Even if you were on coaches for 15 hours a day or, <laughs> you know, longer it wasn't, it didn't recuperate you in any way. So that's what we used the checkpoints for. And when we did find out, um, we had like a good hour or so um, after we've been given the card oh, to okay. figure out what we want to do. It was sort of up to us if we wanted to go for it straight away or sit down and try to figure yeah. out a route. And that's sort of how that happened. Yeah. What was your strategy? Did you often sit down and take some time or did you go straight away? So at first, um, as you can tell on the, in the first sort of uh, episode, in that first week, we just went. We just didn't Sprinted care. Off, didn't you? Do it, yeah. <laughs> and then we did try to figure it out, but it was really hard to sort of see those things and see how things would link up, especially with transport. Um, and then in the latest stages, yeah, we, we definitely just sat down got a pen out and just looked at the route and tried to figure out a good route. Um, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, actually, most of the time it didn't because we ended up <laughs> going the other route. But I think it was good practice to look at your map every day, um, yeah. especially after we lost it and we got it back. Got, we got gifted. <laughs> yeah, you got saved, didn't you? Yeah, we made sure we looked at that every day just to see how we can go about it. How useful was that map, though? Because I remember you guys saying that it didn't have certain places on. Did you often find that it was flawed and you needed perhaps another map to find the exact detail of where the location would be. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Because um, it wasn't very detailed, but it did help overall just trying to figure out your route through all of those countries mm. um, or just trying to get from A to B or, or the main cities in each country. So that, that was very helpful. But trying to get to those little destinations, I think mm. the biggest help were the locals. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't talk to them, you weren't getting anywhere. So you mentioned earlier about the sleeper buses and the 15-hour sleeper buses. How did you cope on those long, long journeys? Not great, man. <laughs> <laughs> we were there. Uh, I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, sometimes it was, it was both beautiful and painstaking. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because you're going through these wonderful, wonderful spaces. And you're getting to see so many little different villages and cities and just landscapes. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you're sat in a seat and it's kind of, horrible the ac is yeah. not working too great there's this sort of mariachi band music <laughs> playing in the background at 100 volume uh, <laughs> um, there isn't any proper ventilation you're sweating um you haven't showered in a couple of days you haven't really eaten so you're kind of groggy and miserable yeah, yeah what do you know i mean so many feelings yeah. at the same time it's hard to explain but overall looking back it was probably some of the best times um and it was just amazing moments to sort of reflect on your journey, your past, your future, mm. how you want to go about life. Amazing, mate. And of course, we all know that you took that MP3 player on because in the final episode on the race to the checkpoint, you swapped it really cleverly to make sure you got that taxi ride. What tunes were on that MP3 player? So this is what actually happened with the MP3 player, right? <laughs> I took the MP3 player, assuming that my songs would work on it. Mm. Um, so you, I just put an SD card in. And what happened is on the first day, that we were in Mexico, it sort of just went faulty. My SD card went faulty. Oh, really? So I had no music, really. No. <laughs> I couldn't listen to anything. 
so I was just sort of done over from day one. And so we just had these MP3s. We didn't use them throughout our whole journey. But in the end, they were the thing that saved us from like losing essentially. Yeah, awesome, it was man. just mental. Were they the like only luxury items that you took with you on the trip, or did you take anything else? No, I mean I took a couple of books. To Kill a Mockingbird was one yep. of them. And um, a book by Aldous Huxley called In Praise of Shadows. Oh, wait, is it? No, sorry, that's not it. Um, Heaven and Hell and okay. something else. And then I want to, I did take a Game Boy. I remember I took a Game Boy with oh, me, but I never a used it at the bottom of my bag. Oh, yeah, really? really? Yeah, yeah, never used it once. You just didn't get time to. Yeah. That's the reality of the situation. Um, even when you were on those coaches, you didn't want to put, dig down into your bag to get it out either. Yeah. Um, it was only at checkpoints that we actually got any time off to look at those things. Otherwise, my he- head was sort of running 100 miles per hour thinking about the race like, continuously. Sounds really stressful, to be honest, mate. Yeah, it was, it was. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was looking on, on Race Across the World's subreddit before I came on because I wanted to make sure if anyone had any questions about the show that I kind of discussed them mm-hmm. and got them ticked off. And a lot of people were asking whether you were allowed to take a phrase book with you or maybe purchase it when you were in South America because you knew then that the predominant language would be Spanish. Did, is that something that you bought? So, actually, before we even got to know where we were going, Mexico City, um, we were at the airport in um, London, um, Heathrow, and I actually took a phrase book with me that was Spanish because I just assumed, you know what, Spanish is the most spoken language in the world, or Clever. one of the most. Yeah, so I just took it with me, and what they did was they looked through our bags and took that no. phrase book and said we weren't allowed it. If, if we had any maps or anything else, we just yeah. weren't allowed. So they took them away from us. And when we were out there, we weren't allowed to buy one either. Oh, wow. It was part of the rules. We just couldn't because it'd be sort of cheating in a sense. Mm. Um, if you already knew it, it was at the top of your head. Yeah. Um, that's fine. But I think the goal was for us to interact with the locals so that we learn off them. And I think that makes the experience much more um, fruitful, doesn't it? Yeah, it probably makes for better TV. How did you find the uh, learning of Spanish then? Have you picked up many phrases which you'd still know to this day? I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy when you're in a place to learn a language because you're consistently hearing it and you can sort of pick it up and register it and throw it back out there. But as soon as you come back, all of that's sort of thrown yeah. out of the air and you forget <laughs> all of it. I mean, the only words I know is probably gracias, hola, como estas, and uh, Donda, Esta, and that's it. Like, yeah, kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, but other than that, I have no idea. I, I don't even know what I just said. <laughs> I, the words. I can't tell you either, mate, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk about uh, the fact that you obviously won the race, but I wanted to ask you, how intent were you on winning the race? Was it something which drove you between every single leg? I'm not going to lie. When I started, um, I, I wasn't too bothered. Yeah. I was just really happy that I got to go on the show. I got to get to, you know, go Mexico. Um, I think you could sort of see that in my demeanour um, in the first sort of couple of weeks. But then, yeah, I got rearing. I got yep. annoyed and angry that I wasn't the first. And uh, then I just, yeah, that's all I was kept kept focusing on. So it sort of grew as we went yep. through the process. Yeah. I had Jen and Rob on the show from your series. And I asked yeah. them, who did you get on race with from the race? And they said you and Iman. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask you a question, uh, the same question now, but I'm just going to give you that little bit of insight just in case you don't say them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was Jen and Rob. I think um, why, why that is, is because at every checkpoint, they were either just ahead of us or just behind us. Mm. So we had to stay at the checkpoints together most of the time. And we just developed a wonderful bond. Um, they're such nice people. I mean, Jen's just frigging hilarious. Mm. And, and Rob's just so chilled out. 
and the combination of them both, me and my uncle, our personalities are quite similar. Um, so yeah, we just got on very well. It was, I mean, not to say that we didn't get along with yeah. all the contestants, but we, we, we got like really close to them. Awesome. So just to speak about them for a second, because obviously I had them on the show and got to speak to them and to kind of know them more than just the show lets you know them, for example. <laughs> so do you think Jen in particular was kind of misunderstood by the show? Because she seemed like a lovely person when I met her. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's, it, it's, she's got a sort of banter about her mm. and you have to understand that before you make any judgments um she's one of the funniest characters i've ever met in my life and she is genuinely genuinely one of the most wonderful as well mm. uh, the show i think people assume things i think you definitely need to go on her instagram go on her social medias get talking to her and you'll mm. realize that she's just amazing yeah definitely yeah, absolutely, mate. So you, you touched on it there about the checkpoints and the fact that you bonded with the other contestants whilst you're in them. What were those checkpoints like? Oh, mate. <laughs> oh, amazing. I'd, like, never in my life would I have thought I would have stayed in such grand, yeah, you know, just amazing places. When we went and stayed in the Tatakoa deserts, mm. uh, that was just unheard of. I never thought that I would be staying in the middle of a desert any, any time in my life, do you know what I mean? And yeah. it was glamping as well. So we were living in luxury and the food that we were eating there was just, oh, oh muy caliente, you know what I mean? Yeah. I no, can't even fun. describe. Um, but yeah, they were wonderful, wonderful places. And I think if you guys got to see those checkpoints properly, you would have definitely enjoyed the show more. Yeah. Maybe I need to go back and uh, do a little trip to all of those checkpoints just to show you guys what they were actually like. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think then there could have been so much more footage then that wasn't made for the show that could have been used? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you've got to understand as well that uh, there's so much footage that was made for the show mm. that didn't get used. Mm. Um, that's, I mean, that's a good eight weeks of footage yeah. from five different teams and they've had to sort of compile that down into eight episodes is, is mental. Yeah, so I want to talk about the race up to the checkpoint now. So spoiler alert, we've already said it, but you guys won. You guys sprinted and beat Jen and Rod up that hill all the way to the top. What was that yeah. final sprint like? It seemed so intense when we were watching it. it. It was, it genuinely was because, I mean, we saw Jen and Rob, or this, they came and saw us and we were like, damn, this is, <laughs> either we go up there together because we just created a, such a wonderful bond mm. um, or we have to beat them. And we, had, we were sort of playing between that battle with our minds. Do we walk up there together and share the money or mm. do we beat them? Mm. And I think <laughs> my uncle said, whilst we were on the bus, I think, um, because we did have another goal in mind. He was like, this is it. We have to do this for this kid, those kids. Mm. And he said that on the bus and I was like, all right, we have to do this for those kids. Yeah. We're going. And we just had to, I mean, they, they were ahead of us. And what's, what's funny is, I, I don't think they showed it properly. Um, they were ahead of us and we had to run past them. And then yeah. they were ahead of us again, and then we had to run past them. Oh, really? And that happened a couple of times um, because of the route is so weird and um, the sort of terrain was just odd. Um, so, yeah, we were battling between each other for those 20 seconds, for sure. It was a very hard, hard race. How long was that sprint up the hill then? Was it something that you simply couldn't run because you would have just been too tired? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, altogether, it probably took us a, a good two hours. Really? Wow. Really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't just really a sprint. It was yeah. uh, a hike, a sprint, a yeah. jog, uh, another hike. And uh, it was, yeah, it was it was just weird, man. <laughs> so, of course, you would have been helped by the fact that you chucked your backpacks into that bar. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, definitely. that was 
a masterstroke. When I watched it, I was like, guys, you're geniuses. I wouldn't have even thought of that. <laughs> Who, whose idea was that? Um, it was mine because I, I can't, because of my asthma, uh, that extra weight just holds me back. So I just, mm. I, was, I, I told my uncle, listen, we need to get rid of the bags. It's okay, even if we do lose the bags. Mm. Um, we're going to get to the end point today and we're going to be leaving. So it's fine. Um, we won't need the bags. It's cool. And he agreed because on that sort of climb or rainbow mountain, I only had the little bag on me and that little bag weighed me down so much that I couldn't mm. really get up there and he had to take the bag off me um, so that I could sort of level out again. And because of that, we made the decision to make sure that we let it go. Genius, mate. Absolute genius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just to, before we move on, you mentioned the stuff that didn't make the edit from the checkpoints. Was there a particular moment that you were surprised didn't make the edit from your experience on the show? I think I think the editors and sort of everybody else a part of the show did very well in capturing the key moments but with, there were definitely moments where you know um, that might have meant more to me and my uncle that didn't play into the overall story like mm. going through the Darien Gap yeah that was one of the most serene and the most mm. wonderful things I've ever done in my life or had the pleasure of doing and I mean it was horrible because we were sat on these wooden sort of um, seats and you're just rocking up and down like this all throughout the whole journey yeah. but it's getting numb uh, I mean, your wind, the wind's in your face throughout it all, but looking back, it's just, it was it was amazing, man. It was wonderful, and I just want to do it again. It was just so serene and peaceful. I've never felt like that ever in my life. Um, and, I mean, there were other moments where we got to go see an iguana sanctuary. Mm. We got to see a parrot sanctuary, nice. um, a bird sanctuary. We, I mean, we rode horses, and we got to do so many other things. Um, you, that, you know, obviously weren't part of the overall story, but they happened and you guys didn't get to see those. So, I mean, yeah, definitely. There's so many moments, but they did capture everything that they needed to. Definitely. Brilliant. So before I move on and we talk about kind of working during the race, I wanted to ask you about the fact that obviously you won. So you must have been wanting to tell everyone you knew and share that news. How hard was that to keep that secret from your friends and family? Um, it was it was it was solid uh, because we came back and all my brother so my cousin was living with us for a for a short time my brothers they'd ask me constantly every day so who won so mm. who won yeah and I was like oh well I don't know because they don't they haven't told us that yet it was based off the time <laughs> um, they're gonna mention it on the on the actual show on the actual program and I had to make loads of lies up just yeah. to sort of um, come by around. But it was all right. It wasn't too bad because eventually this stopped and mm. I just had to hold it in. But when, when we did actually get to say it, oh, it felt so good. It felt like a weight was lifted yeah, up. But... Yeah, definitely. Who did you tell then that you were going on the show in the first place? How many people did you have to keep it a secret from? I mean, I kept it a secret from everyone really still, even then. And the only person yeah. I did tell it was my mum, just so that she doesn't have any worries because yeah, yeah. she's a worry what. Um, and I did tell, I actually told one of my best friends um, and they were just like, oh, are you sure that you want to go on something like that? Yeah. Um, or like, yeah, I mean, I can't really complain, even if I was doing it for a week or if I didn't sort of make it to the end. Mm. It'd be an amazing experience. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, so those are the only two people I told. So what did everyone else think then? Because you disappeared for 50 days, so that must have been quite yeah. strange. Um, I, I put a post up on Instagram just saying, bye, see you later. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, I left it on. And um, when I came back after eight weeks, um, I had all of these messages from my friends saying, where did you go? Why are you going? Where are you going? Yeah. Uh, what's going on? What? Like, what happened? Are you okay? Um, I haven't heard from you in two months' time. <laughs> It was all really funny to sort of explain. I was like, yeah, I just went out. Um, I needed a little bit of break after my um, sort of course and my degree. Yeah. I just went travelling for a bit. And I think they all just took it on the chin and thought, oh, yeah, yeah he just went travelling for a bit. Fair enough. Worked a treat. <laughs> so I thought we could move on and talk about work now because you did some amazing jobs throughout your time on the race. Yeah. Was it something that you looked forward to when you were on those race legs? Yes. Um, I think the work allowed us to get out of our sort of heads to focus on something else so that we're not continuously stressed about mm. the race. Mm. So it was it was definitely something to look forward to. But at the same time, we were tired, we were hungry. Um, it was hard to work. It was very hard to yeah. work. Yeah, it was it was solid. But once you got into it, and once it was, I mean, if it was something that was definitely different, most of the things were. Um, it was enjoyable. It was definitely enjoyable. I'm really glad that we got the experience that we did. Um, I've never worked uh, on a boat. No. So I got I got the luxury of doing that. Never been scuba diving, but I got the luxury of actually helping scuba divers. Yeah. Hey, we got to do loads of things that I would have never thought I would have done in my life. Uh, I'm just grateful for that. So do you have a favourite job from the race then? Oh, that's <laughs> hard. I, I can... I, uh, there's quite a few. I really enjoyed... Um, I mean, it was a hard graft. We went and we shoveled shit, essentially, yeah. for uh, at a barn um, with lots of horses. We got to sort of clean the horses and and just do a lot of that um, throughout the day. It was it was actually a good day's work where we we're just shoveling shit for a good six hours. <laughs> what were the other jobs like then? If that was your favourite, <laughs> yeah, why I say it, it was, it felt like it was the most rewarding to me. Yeah, um, because I was doing something. Um, that was sort of helping a living animal. Mm. Um, 
and it was really nice to spend the time with those uh, with those horses as well. Um, I mean, at a certain point, and something that you didn't actually get to see on the show, um, I nearly got like kicked by a horse. Oh, really? um, yeah, it was mental. Uh, it missed me, hit the gate, and I fell over the gate. It was it was something else, but it was just crazy, crazy moments that you guys didn't get to see. And I think that that job um, it just sort of calmed us down even though it was grueling and painstaking his calm us down took us away from the race and it allows us to allowed us to sort of recuperate and try figure things out and when you're doing sort of uh, manual labor like that it allows you to put your sort of self in a different mental state mm. um, just because it's continuous it's the same so you don't have to put too much brain power into it mm. so it's nice i thought you were going to say when you went fishing in peru with santos and john how was that experience yeah. That that was amazing. That was definitely amazing. But uh, I think that's more my uncle's thing. It was mm. definitely one of the most amazing things I've done because um, it, it didn't really feel like work to me. And I think that's why mm. I didn't mention it. It felt like more of something like uh, it was like a little play around because we caught fish, but it felt like we were just surfing or yeah. just having fun in the water. Yeah, it awesome. was a work. Amazing. It looked awesome. And the meal looked great as well. How was yeah, that yeah, taste? It was. Oh, it was. It was amazing. It, it reminded me of my mom's cooking. Um, the dish that they prepared is very similar to a dish that we have um, in sort of our Bengali culture. It's called tenga salad. Um, so it was, yeah, it just felt homely. Nice, man. Great. Yeah. Was there a job when you were watching the show that you saw another group of contestants do, which you thought, oh, I wish I did that? Because you all had the same handbook. Essentially, you could have got that job if you looked and chose it before anyone yeah, else there did. Were a few, there were a few, but I think, um, oh, actually, I don't I don't know which one I'd choose because they were all actually really hard. <laughs> um, maybe maybe the one that um, Dom and Lizzie did where they worked at the bar um, oh, yeah. and sort of tried to get punters in. Yeah. Um, I'm really good at doing that just on the natural every day because I've worked in a bar yeah. here in Oldham. Um, that would have just been enjoyable and chilled out. I think yeah, that, yeah. that's the one I would have chosen out of all of them. I could see you guys. I mean, doing that. Lizzie got to. It seemed like Lizzie just got to chill throughout the <laughs> yeah. whole sort of job, anyway. So yeah, I wouldn't have minded that. Yeah, absolutely. She chilled out. <laughs> so I wouldn't to get into the kind of more behind the scenes elements of the show now, stuff that we yeah. didn't see when we were watching it. And I saw just from looking on your Instagram that you had a great relationship with the guys that followed you on your trip, especially the two cameramen and camera women. So yeah, you seem yeah, to yeah. really struck up a great relationship with them. Definitely. Um, they're just wonderful people. I mean, um, they're, they're a massive part of the whole thing, aren't they? And yeah. if, if, you're not, if you don't really build a bond with them, you can't capture the footage that you can yeah. capture. Um, and uh, yeah, they're genuinely amazing, amazing, wonderful people. It was just so chilled out. We clicked and we got on so well. To me, they're essentially family now. Mm. And I do tell them, I mean, because of COVID, it's not been possible. Calm down whenever you want. My house is your house. Yeah. And I think that's the way it is with us now. Yeah. Amazing. What was this? What was there a particularly special moment that you shared during the race? Yeah, I think um, climbing... The Rainbow Mountain because mm. they have to do it with all the gear as well. Yeah. So it's you got to think that they're doing it. They're trying to capture footage. They've got all of this gear on them. Uh, it was grueling and painstaking for them as well. But it was a such a bonding moment because just getting to the top for all of us was just mm. yeah, it was nice. It was it was a moment that I can't really describe too well. How did you find being filmed all the time? Because obviously. It would be hard enough in the best of times, but you, like you said, were doing these long coach journeys. You weren't sleeping at times. You weren't eating for 50 days. 
and someone sticking a camera in your face. How did you find that? <laughs> um, for the first two weeks, it was the weirdest thing ever because I didn't know whether I should be looking at the camera or just looking somebody somewhere else or just yeah. going about my everyday life. And there were moments where Sabs uh, Bali, who was recording us, um, would say, look away from the camera. L- l- stop looking at the camera yeah. because it wouldn't make it so real. Mm. Um, and we'd get shouted out a few times. <laughs> get so annoyed. But then eventually you sort of get used to it being there all the time. Um, and you don't notice it. It just sort of kind of go, goes out of your head. Uh, but there are times when you're asked questions, um, oh, how do you feel about this process? And that's something that happens all the time. You do get sick of it and you do get tired of it. You can get quite cranky. Yeah. Um, but you snap back to it and you do realise that it's a show and you got to yep. do it. Is, is it. So did the uh, crew that were following you ever stop you from getting on any, any sort of transport then? Because there potentially could have been situations where you needed four seats, but there were um, only two. They were, I mean, there could have been once or twice, but most of the time they figured out a way to get around it. So either one of them came with us and the other followed in like the backup vehicle, mm. um, which was around, we didn't really know where it was. They just show up every now and then and be like, yeah. oh, here's your backup camera. All right, we're off again. Yeah, and they yeah, just yeah. follow us around just in case. So they'd go with them. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't that much of a hassle, to be fair. It wouldn't affect your race in any way. South America is potentially a scarier place to travel through than Series 1's route, I found, when watching it. It kind of, yeah, looked a little bit more treacherous at times. Did you feel unsafe at all at any point during the trip? Um, I wouldn't say that I felt unsafe. We did have a security guy called Mike, um, wonderful guy again, mm. um, who, who just told us how to sort of keep our wits about us. And I think that you got to do that whether or not you're in South America or in your own backyard, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's dangerous places everywhere. Um, you just got to be careful, have your wits about you, and you'll be fine. But we did go through some spaces where it was more than just treacherous. There were yeah. gangs and, you know, people with machine guns and machetes and stuff wow. like that. And again, I say that we were lucky to have the security guard on the team behind us because they'd be able to tell us you're not allowed to go through here um Mm. and that'd be a rule or you've got a curfew on this day in this place if you were to be there um you've got to think about that and so yeah they kept us safe so not not at any moment did we feel unsafe but we did go through some treacherous places definitely awesome so i wanted to get an idea of your highlights from the race now and ask you did you have a favourite country from your time during the race? Peru, definitely, would be yeah. one of them. I think more because of the people that we met. Um, I'd say Brazil. Oh, Brazil, yeah, of course. Yeah. I, yeah. The people, the food, uh, the culture, everything about it. Sao Paulo was just amazing. I mean, the amount that I saw in that city within the couple of days that we were there, I didn't expect to. But, yeah definitely one of my favorite places and i'm gonna say ushuaia even though okay. it was yeah. the place i couldn't pronounce at the, at the beginning of the show <laughs> <laughs> so serene so mm. beautiful um the landscapes and yeah it was, it's just something else maybe it was because of the hotel that we got to stay in at the end yeah it made it that much more better <laughs> but yeah man it was it was really nice Awesome. So let's start by talking about Peru then. What was it about Peru that made it one of your favourite countries? We got to climb the Rainbow Mountain. I think mm. that's what it come down to. And we did meet, uh, meet Santos and his father. And they just made us feel at home there. And I guess my uncle felt 
I, it was like a tipping point for me and my uncle. Um, we got a bit closer in that sort of leg. Mm. Uh, so that's why I say Peru, because it's full of fond memories. Awesome. And Brazil, it kind of seemed from a viewer's perspective that in Brazil, your budget was depleting and you had to get out of the country quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. wish you could have spent more time there? Definitely. I mean, if we had the budget, I would have spent like a good few days, more than a few days there. Yeah. Um, somewhere that I definitely want to go back. I want to spend a good month there if I can. Mm. Um but yeah, the culture is just so vast. There's so many different sort of uh, people there. You just want to embrace it all. And it's hard to do in a day. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely want to go back. <laughs> so you mentioned that you loved Sao Paulo and there must have been so many different areas from the race, which you absolutely loved. Did you ever get to a place and think that you could actually live there permanently? I, I would think that Sao Paulo would want to be one of those places. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and um, Mexico City, we didn't get to spend much time there at mm. all. But oh my god, so much happening there all the time. So that I'd love to live there. Um, I think I'm a sort of person who wants to be where where it's happening. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in whichever city, Panama City was was pretty damn nice, but um, not as you know. Oh, I don't know how to. I don't really know how to say it. It wasn't as artsy as Sao Paulo. Okay. And yeah. I think you know, that's what I'm looking for. If I was to ever move anywhere, yeah. We've mentioned food a couple of times throughout the interview so far. We've spoken yeah. about the Peruvian fish that you ate. Was there a particularly good meal or restaurant that you ate in that from the race, which you would pinpoint as your favourite? Yeah, actually, there was a place that you guys didn't get to see again. It was mm. on our first week. Me and my uncle were in Mexico, in Palenque. We went to see this wonderful waterfall. And uh, before we got to the waterfall, there was just this ni nice little restaurant where you could get some snacks or whatever you wanted. And uh, me and my uncle had some nachos and a couple of uh, tacos there. And genuinely, the best tacos and the best nachos I've ever had in my life. It was so fresh. And yeah, I can't, I can't describe that. It was, it was just, it was on point. Um, I'd also say that when we were in um, El Salvador, we got to meet um, a couple of guys who gave us burgers. Um, oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. Oh, those burgers were so good, man. <laughs> Maybe it's because we didn't eat for a couple of days, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to try some really good food. We got to try some really bad food as well in some places. Mm. Um, we. We, we tried um, a sort of steak um, in, oh, where was it now? Oh, we tried steak everywhere, to be honest. <laughs> but there was a certain place where we, we thought we'd go get steak. Yeah. Um, and it was just sort of street meat. Mm. And we got sick after that. I mean, we got a little bit sick. Our stomachs got bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Would you say that you're a fussy eater? Yeah, definitely. Okay. <laughs> How did you find that then? I, I say that I say that because um, at home, my mom's a, uh, my mom's a wonderful cook, and mm. she literally cooks us whatever we want. So I say I'm a fussy eater in that manner because I get to eat whatever I want whenever I want. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Whether that's sort of spicy Asian food cuisine or just normal every day. Um, but in terms of when I'm traveling, um, I don't I don't think I'm fussy. I just want to eat everything. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you find it on the race then in terms of food? Because Jen and Rob told me that they sometimes go days without eating. And then when yeah. they ate, they'd eat um, rolls just stuffed with tuna, the cheapest thing they yeah. could buy that would sustain them. Yeah, it was it was very hard um, at first. I think um, your body gets used to not eating. And I think for me and my uncle, because we fast 
every year mm. for a good month anyway. It was it came sort of easy to us, easier mm. than it would do the other other contestants. Um, so we're lucky in that manner. And uh, my uncle was very smart in the way he went about acquiring food. Mm. So um, whenever we got on coaches, he'd ask for an extra meal yeah. or an extra biscuit, uh, extra bottles of water. And I guess that's what we were surviving on. Yeah. Uh, without him, we wouldn't have survived. And there were moments where we did see Jen and Rob. Actually, we saw Jen and Rob on every leg mm. um, throughout our race. Um, and there was a moment where we, they would look so replenished. I mean, I mean, not replenished. They looked so like... They didn't eat for days, so we had to give them some food. Mm. <laughs> so we gave them a bit of food, and they, they were so grateful. And we realized then that we were eating better than most of the other contestants, mm. really, just because we were asking. And yeah. uh, the kindness of other people is just madness. Yeah, mad. So did you try any different new foods whilst you were on the race at all? I, I tried. Oh, what did I try now? I don't I don't think we did, you know. Um, there was a place that were, like, dealing with insects and... <laughs> And I just couldn't. I just went yeah. for the life. Um, yes, yeah, not something that I would have done. But we did get to try different fruits I've never tra- tasted. I don't remember the names of them, mm. but definitely not things that we can get in the UK. Um, so that was quite nice every now and then. Oh, there was a place um, when we went to, oh, where was it now? Um, Lake Titicaca. Yeah. The, the, when we went there, um, at the checkpoint, I got to try this honey. Um, okay. And imagine, you know, honey. Well, it's all right. It's, it's honey, but this honey was unlike any other honey that I've ever tasted. It had an orange sweetness to it. So mm. the honey was made from bees that sort of go to the orange gardens or something. I don't know what it is, mm. and that's where they honey from. So the honey wow. had actual orange taste to it. Uh, yeah, that was really nice, man. Sounds great. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Amazing. I, I actually put some in a little tub. I'm <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so to move on and talk about the accommodation and places you stayed throughout the race, I wanted to ask you first, when you usually go away on holiday, do you usually holiday in luxury? No, um, it's always a mix. I like to mix, I, I like to mix it up. Um, I don't live in luxury, um, say, but I don't live in the places that yeah. we actually go. <laughs> I, I get to stay in hostels or um, little Airbnbs, which yeah. is really nice. I mean, I'm not living on the street, so uh, I mean, that's luxury enough for me. Yeah, so you've set the scene now. So how hard was it then to adjust to the cheap hostels you ended up staying out throughout the race? Um, I mean, some of those hostels were really nice. So, I mean, considering um, uh, the budget that we had, they were really good. I mean, we got a a shelter above our heads and we we had a bit of heat, so we couldn't complain. But those places we've actually had to sort of sleep in damp rooms and they smell like uh, piss and all mm. sorts and cockroaches around the wall um there were maggots in some places <laughs> <laughs> bed stains and all sorts yeah you quickly get used to it because you just need to sleep anyway so yeah. you just don't get in your sleeping bag put it right to the top and just hibernate uh, that's like <laughs> so i wanted to talk about the place that you stayed which i thought was the strangest but maybe there was somewhere which was stranger and that was the place with all the taxidermy animals in and all the places on the walls there were these deer on the walls how how, what was it like staying in that room oh it was scary man it was weird (laughs) so weird um because uh, you'd just be there and you'd feel like all of these animals are looking at you even though they're dead but yeah that was the weirdest thing ever 
I can't, yeah, I don't even know what to say. Because the the family that we stayed with was such a wonderful family. Um, and to have all of these taxidermy heads on the wall, I just, you don't want to expect it from, from the sort of family that we stayed with. Um, but again, yeah, it was an experience. I think that's, that's all I can say from it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to talk about some highlights again from the race, is there a place from the race which you want to go back to in the future? Yeah, um, definitely Brazil, I'd say again. Um, yep. or, um, I want Again, like I said before, I want to do the Darien Gap sort of mission mm. again. You mm. did it by sea because you can't go through the land. Um, so whenever, if possible, in the future, if I can go through land, that's something that I definitely want to do. Um, go back to Mexico City. Yeah, I'm just going to put it all out there. I want to yeah. go back to every single place that I went to on the race. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. It's so much more to see and we didn't get to. Do you tend to go back to the same places often then? Or are you quite an adventurous person who wants to explore new things? Yeah, I, I'm, most of the time I'm quite an adventurous person and I want to explore new things. But I think the race made me realise that um, there's always more that you can experience mm. in the same place. You just got to look for it. Um, and it's made me appreciative of that here in the UK as well. Mm. Um, I mean, how often do we actually travel in the UK and get mm. to see all of the sites? We don't. And it's made me realize there's so much more to see, even yeah. on my own back doorsteps. Um, and yeah, I think we have to go back to places to sort of reanalyze and sort of rethink um, and just grow. I Absolutely. Think yeah. Have you explored the UK much this year then? Yeah, yeah. So I've got, I mean, I've been able to go down to a few cities. I mean, it's been, it's been weird to go down to cities on your own just to mm. explore. Mm. Um, but it's been nice at the same time. So I've just taken my camera with me, um, go walking around, music in my ear, have a little dance on the street and just take <laughs> pictures. And that's been quite nice. Uh, so it's been good, yeah. Nice. Where, where in the UK then is your favourite place to visit, would you say? Oh, that's hard. How are you going to say that? I can't, I can't. <laughs> I can't say I can't say with that because I'm gonna get, you know, people are going to say no. You should, you're Mancunian. You should be loving Manchester. I'm yeah. going to say Manchester yeah. because you know that's where I'm from. That's you know yeah. Greater Manchester. Do, do you think Manchester's underrated by us in the south? Because I've been there a few times and it's a great city. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, come on, all right. I'm going to be moving down to London soon, yeah. Yeah. And I know for a fact that London's a very busy place. Um, I might I might be generalising, but a lot of people don't have time for you in London because they're yeah. so hustle and bustle. Let's get let's get to where we're going. But in Manchester, you can actually have a good conversation with the person, mm. a random stranger. You can literally speak to him on the street, and you can end up speaking to him for a good half an hour and become yeah. really good friends with them and sort of have that relationship and that bond just naturally. Uh, so I say Manchester is a great city. Um, you have so many different quarters, so many things to do. Um, but I think the main overall thing is, yeah, you can communicate with randomers. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, I assume that you could do that in London. It's harder, Oof. though, believe me. Uh, yeah, is harder. It, is it yeah, Tell absolutely. Why. Why, is it, why is it harder, though? I think everyone just, this is like unwritten code in London. When you're in London, especially on the tube and the trains and all these kind of places, everyone's just glued into their phones or books or something. And it's just heads down and it's this unwritten rule that you can't speak to each other. And it's horrible, to be fair. So yeah. Manchester sounds like a much nicer place to live for sure. Yeah. Do, do you think it's possible to sort of break, break those boundaries? And would it be sort of taboo or out of the norm to 
strike up a conversation. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, absolutely yeah. would be. Yeah. If someone yeah, spoke to me, it, it wouldn't be weird. I, I'd be absolutely more than happy to have a conversation. But I feel like, yeah, like it's if you started a conversation with someone, you would, in the back of your mind would expect them to be a bit weirded out by that. Oh, okay. That, yeah. what? It's mad, isn't it? that yourself has that happened to you yeah but people like, have spoken to me and like i say i'm more than happy to have a conversation and trying to get get chatting to people and meet people but yeah. yeah i i would be a bit more reserved to just randomly speak to a stranger do you think yeah. that helps you during the race then because obviously like you said you're a confident guy you can chat yeah, to yeah. different people and strike up a conversation with anyone on the street do you think that yeah, helps yeah. you in the race definitely definitely just because um I mean, you have to speak to people wherever you are. And in Manchester, it's sort of forced upon you. Um, mm. People will just talk to you all the time. And it's, it's so random. And you, those sort of conversations come up so naturally. Uh, so whilst we were on the race, it came, they came up naturally as well. So you definitely, I mean, if you're always secluded, you're not talking to people, you're never learning. Yeah. And you're never experienced. So you never get to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And I think that's definitely important. Um, and it's, it should be something that they embrace in London, out of all places. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, um, hopefully you don't struggle with it too much, mate, when you come down. No, no, I won't. I'll, I'll <laughs> hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so to bring it back to the race, um, is there a place that you would never go back to? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can say. Um, but I wouldn't say that there's a place that I would never go back to. Um, when we were in... Um, oh, where was it now? We went and we cleaned some buses in, um, mm. oh, I forgot where, what the name was now, it's on the tip of my tongue. But we, we went there and the place that we worked at, I mean, beautiful place. Uh, why can't the, why isn't the name coming into my head? <laughs> I have no idea. But the, the place that we worked at, is a, the people were wonderful, but it's definitely not a place that I'd go back to because mm. um, the streets were genuinely chaos. There were there was it felt like there was no care. Um, the the markets were just sort of run and filled with trash. Um, children playing in that trash as well. Um, it was difficult to see those things. Um, I want to go back to see if I can make a difference, but it's not somewhere I'd go back to to spend you know time just to enjoy yeah. it. It's, it's a hard fact to face. That makes sense to me. Uh, yeah. So to talk about a place that means the most to you, you've mentioned Rainbow Mountain a few times and from watching it, it kind of seemed like that was a highlight of your trip. Is that the place that means the most to you from the race? I think it's one of the places. It's hard mm. to say specifically that it would be the, the main because there were so many, so many points that were just amazing. And I'd say it is one of the def definitely one of the key moments. Um, it allowed us, it allowed for me and my uncle and the whole team to sort of develop a bond that we didn't have before. Mm. And I think that's why it's definitely, it was important uh, for the race and for the show. Were there any other places then that were particularly special to you? The, the Tatakoa Deserts, definitely. Yep. Um, just, I can't, I genuinely can't describe it. The skies were so clear, right? Um, the desert was so quiet. It, it just felt like you were on your own, both on your own and you weren't. And again, we were with all the other contestants. So it, just, it was just a wonderful sort of time to spend uh, spend together. Um, so Tatakoa Deserts, definitely. Um, Ushuaia, again, amazing. I'm jealous of Jen and Rob because they got to see the waterfalls that we didn't. Yeah. Um, I wanted to see those waterfalls. Um, but I'd say another place would have definitely been. So whilst we went on the Darien Gap, 
um, we had to stop off at a place because we couldn't continue on to our destination. Mm. Um, so we had to stay there the night. And that you didn't get to see much of. We only got to see us put sort of put our nets up inside the in the ho- in the hotel slash hostel mm. that we stayed at. Um, but that was sort of key defining moment as well because um, it was just so it's so weird and so unexpected. Mm. And we all just sat to, sat around together at a table had our dinner and it was just a nice moment for us as a team. Amazing. So to talk about Rainbow Mountain, it was one of the places which you kind of elected to go to, which you knew would take you off your route. Were there any other places that you chose to visit, which you knew would kind of take you off that route straight to the checkpoint? No, no, no. I think, um, I mean, on the first week when we went to see, when we went to Palenque to see the um, Mayan ruins Mm. and the waterfall, that definitely did us did take us sort of off route because we stopped there for a very long time. Mm. Um, but Rainbow Mountain was the key place that we sort of took away. And I really wanted to do that though, because it's an experience that would have meant so much more than any sort of prize money yeah. and anything else. Um, so it had to be done. It had to be done. Yeah, you were umming and iron for a while, but there's absolutely yeah, yeah. no regrets now, I can tell. No regrets, no regrets. <laughs> Is it a place which you'd recommend people travel to once the world opens up again? Because it's not actually a place I'd heard of before the show. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's new. So you've got to consider that um, those mountains were actually snow-capped um, mm. before. Um, obviously, because of global warming, they've just kind of opened up, snow's melted. And that's why you're able to see what you see. But mm. yeah, I think it'd be great for the economy of Peru. And it'd be amazing for people to go and just witness and see that spectacle. Yeah, it's it's how this world, man. Awesome. Now to move it on and talk about future series of the show. You did the route down South America. Series one took us from London to Singapore. Which route would you like to see on the show in the future? London to Cape Town. That would be an amazing route. Yeah. I think yeah. it I from looking at a map, that is what I think could happen for series three. I'm hoping that would be it. I'm hoping that would be it. Because it'd just be a... Africa is very dangerous in some some parts, mm. and we're going to consider. I'm not sure if you guys know this already, but I'll put it out there. Um, the next series is a celebrity series. Mm. Yeah, right. And then series for series four would be um, the normal everyday uh, person like myself. Um, but I think they'd put them through Africa just because it'd be harder mm. Mm. to try to raise money for it, and it'd be it'd be quite crazy to see what happens. Yeah. Obviously, you mentioned that the starting point would be London and you guys started from Mexico City. Do you wish that you'd started from London or are you happy with your start point? Yeah, no, yeah, I wish that we started from London because it would have been so much easier to try to figure things out because you had yeah. English-speaking people. Mexico, we just didn't expect that they'd put us there because, I mean, give us a chance, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They just picked you up and dumped you in a random place. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was good. It was good. I got no regrets. It was yeah. good that they put us there because we had to sort of rejig ourselves and our mental strategy from day one. Um, It was good. But I say London to Cape Town, I don't think it'll be that. I think Africa will be an element of it, but they'll have to start them elsewhere, somewhere that Mm. they haven't started. Um, Mm. Maybe Russia. Yeah, it's just so vast, isn't it? You'd spend the whole series in Russia. Exactly. (laughs) It's massive. You can do so much. (laughs) Awesome. Now, so to take it away from the race now, I want to ask you about your own kind of personal travel goals. So is there anywhere in the in the world that you want to make sure that you tick off your bucket list in the future? So I do need to do sort of North America, Canada, Mm. uh that there on the bucket. You know what? It's hard because my bucket list is 
genuinely every single country on the planet. So, mm. <laughs> you know, um, and especially speaking to people over social media, they've all given me so many more ideas. Singapore, China, Japan. Mm. Yeah, so many other places. I've still got a lot of Europe to do, yep. um, a lot of Asia. Um, I, I mean, I've done India, but I want to go back to India. I met some wonderful people there. Mm. It's hard to pinpoint a few places. It's really and truly, I just want to travel everywhere, man. Mm. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah, man. I, <laughs> do it until the, the day I die, man. That's, yeah. that's the... Absolutely. So you, through lockdown, you must have been dreaming about places. Is there a particular place which you've got your heart set on going as soon as you can? Yeah, I think my heart's really set on going back home. And when I say back home, I say um, my roots, Bangladesh. Yeah. Um, because I really want to go back to the orphanage and sort of put in... Uh, a bit of a graft there see what i can do to help the community and again like i said it's home um for my family and i want to go see them i want to be able to sort of experience that lifestyle and say that i'm you know i've got my own culture within me yeah. and i think that's i want to do that next definitely amazing thank you so much jamil you've been an absolute pleasure great man this has been a great episode and you've had some great stories as well so thank you so much yeah man thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure so there we go. That was episode 24 with Race Across the World winner Jamil Chowdhury. I really hope you enjoyed it. It was great to hear some of the insights from Jamil's time on the race and details which didn't make the edit too. I really enjoyed recording this episode and I hope you enjoyed listening to it too. If you did, it would mean the world to me if you could subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's basically because subscribing to the podcast is what helps us climb the charts and reach new listeners and leaving reviews obviously convinces new listeners to come and listen to the show. Thank you as always for listening and I'll be back next week with the Saunders for an episode of our new show. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.